0: Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. Today, we are discussing the present and the future of Lower Manhattan, one of the city's major central business districts, of course, an area of the city with a great deal of character, its own unique pieces and contributions from Wall Street to Battery Park, Chinatown to the seaport and so much more. And of course, an area of the city devastated by the attacks of September 11th, 2001, and in many ways transformed in their aftermath. Lower Manhattan was also among the parts of the city most hurt by the COVID pandemic when it comes to its people, its economic activity, and that activity is highly dependent upon both tourism and office work, both of which were ground to a halt, of course, during the pandemic and are in the process of rebounding here, but are far from pre-pandemic rates. And there's so much more to discuss about Lower Manhattan and get into, and that's why today we're going to discuss where things stand In lower Manhattan and what the future may hold. And I'm pleased to be joined by Jessica Lappin, the president of the Alliance for Downtown New York, otherwise known as the Downtown Alliance, a position Jessica Lappin has been in since 2014, after she left the city council after a couple of terms representing other parts of Manhattan. So my conversation with Jessica Lappin about the future of lower Manhattan in just a moment. First, if you missed any of our recent reporting at Gotham Gazette, find us at Gotham Of course, we've been reporting on lots of things happening in New York state and city politics and government, including uh, some of the outcomes of the recently passed state budget and what comes next in the legislative session that is now underway for much of May and into early June. And in New York City in politics, we are, of course, looking at the still early days of Mayor Eric Adams's administration. And it is budget season in the city, especially now that the state budget has been passed. The city knows what's coming through from the state, and the city will advance its own budget plan, which um, has a lot riding on it and what will be a roughly $100 billion New York City budget due by the July 1st start of next fiscal year. And there is, of course, a whole lot of policy. In involved and dependent on that budgeting and informing that budgeting. And we're digging into a lot of it as well at Gotham Gazette here on the podcast. uh, If you've missed any recent episodes, find them at max politics, wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette website. I've had a whole bunch of great guests. I won't go into the list. Now you can find those, Um, wherever you get podcasts or, uh, as I said, at the Gotham Gazette site. All right. Here on today's show, we are talking about Lower Manhattan and its future. Very pleased to be joined by Jessica Lappin, the president of the Alliance for Downtown New York, and a former city council member, among other roles. Uh, the, The Alliance for Downtown New York was created in 1995 to provide service, advocacy, research information to enhance Lower Manhattan, its quality of life, its destination for businesses and residents and visitors of all kinds. And the Alliance for Downtown New York manages the Downtown Lower Manhattan Business Improvement District. Uh, and serves a wide swath of Lower Manhattan. And Jessica Lappin is the president of the Alliance for Downtown New York, and joins us now. Thank you for being here.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: Um, when you hear me describe uh, Lower Manhattan, like I did there, what what did I miss? What you know? What when you're when you're um talking very generally, you know, sort of thirty thousand feet about the area that you're so invested in and helping to lead and then revitalize here um, what are some of the ways that you sort of in in sweeping ways describe lower Manhattan
1: I mean what the first thing I say to people is is there is a definitely kind of a different feel on the streets today than there was six months ago 12 months ago um, you know it, it was We've had our ups and downs, of course, over the course of the history of of the neighborhood, as you mentioned, and certainly through the course of the pandemic. Uh, I don't think, you know, what we saw here was that drastically different than what you saw in a lot of parts of Manhattan, um, especially kind of south of 96th Street. Uh, And you know being a central business district obviously it's been tough losing losing our workers that said having over 65,000 residents who call this neighborhood home today really did help us in ways that you know we we could have expected but haven't had to to see before you know unfortunately compared to other central business districts that don't have that kind of residential base so you know i think What I tell people is uh, it feels different in a good way. Uh, The the streets are increasingly more crowded uh, and more dynamic. And, you know, we know this is going to be a long road to a full recovery, but we feel much more optimistic than we did six months ago.
0: Mm. And the Downtown Alliance that you lead recently published its first quarter report just just a couple of days before our conversation here, or I guess a week before. So we're um, we're speaking here on Wednesday, May tenth, and uh, at the beginning of the month, published a first quarter report for the first few months of 2022 with data on commercial office, retail, residential. Uh, hospitality development projects and show, and there's some encouraging signs there that you know commercial uh leasing activity is growing but of course the office vacancy rates are are still quite high um on the residential side the 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 rents are through the roof setting records uh and and there's some uh, questions I want to get to with you about uh, affordability and how to, you know, bring more affordable housing to Lower Manhattan. Um, and there's there's new businesses opening up. A pretty encouraging report, wouldn't you say?
1: No, for sure. I mean, the first quarter traditionally doesn't matter what year you're in is never the best quarter typically. Mm -hmm. Um, And even though clearly we're we're not where we would like to be pre-COVID, it was the strongest, second strongest quarter we've had since the pandemic hit. Um, And so uh, that was promising. We certainly hear anecdotally from our friends in the brokerage community that there are there's activity in the market uh, Mm -hmm. right now for sure. so, you know, that is somewhat encouraging. Our hotels uh, are also starting to see uh, both better room rates uh, and and ter- better bookings. And especially because this was a neighborhood that traditionally was more dependent upon business travel, which mm-hmm. will take longer to come back. I think our hoteliers, I know, have been pleasantly surprised that they have rebounded and that as tourists start to come back, they are choosing to come to the neighborhood. And so some of the hotels that closed temporarily have reopened or have changed hands. We have a number that are about to open uh, that are brand new, and we still have hotels uh, in the pipeline. So that has come back more quickly than our, our hospitality friends expected. You mentioned residential. It, it's incredible. And we are seeing record high rents having, you know, well before the pandemic, the median rent now $4,400 a month. So <clears throat> that is also a strong sign that no matter where you're working or what your work schedule is like, people are, are choosing with their feet and their pocketbooks to live in this neighborhood.
0: hmm yeah it's it's very interesting and, and and some of the tourism numbers as you said are are looking better and I was actually looking at this report I was actually a little surprised how decent, solid. I mean, again, you know, this is all relative, obviously, to the depths of the of the pandemic in 2020. Right. I mean, we're you know, it, you, you can compare a lot of things to 2019 and feel very depressed and then you can compare things to 2020 and feel optimistic. Right. So I, I think we you know, obviously, um, it's it's nicer to choose choose the latter. But in terms of looking at some of the 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 tourist visits in 2021 and some of those numbers, I mean, you know, that too looks like it's really on the rebound.
1: Well, then that's a perfect way of putting it. We like mm-hmm. to you know, sometimes put 2019, hide that column
0: right. um,
1: in the spreadsheet.
0: Good to aspire to,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, for sure. In 2011, tourism was still way off our, our high of 14 million, but up over 100 percent from the year before. And you look at New York City and companies projections for the year. They're very robust for 2022. I mean, almost a full recovery in 22. And I, when I went out to get lunch today, I walked past two tour groups walking around uh, on Broadway, which surprises me because this is May. This is not spring break. It's not mm-hmm. the summer. We're already seeing uh, tourists come back to the city. And, and the truth is, if you're coming to New York you're coming downtown and and that mm-hmm. wasn't true 10 or 15 years ago, but people want to see the nine 11 Memorial and museum. They want to see, you know, Trinity church or the stock exchange or the bull or all of the above. Clearly the statue of Liberty has been a long draw. You know, that's a, that's a day trip. So people are committing to that. But when I have friends or family or people come downtown or come to the New York, I mean, it's, it's on the list of things mm-hmm. you want to see and do.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's let's zoom back out here as we sit here in May of 2022. With, without going into a lot of discussion, let's just sort of throw out some top lines from your perspective. What are sort of the two biggest challenges facing Lower Manhattan right now? What would you What would you you know? Name three if you want. I, this is not a strict <laughs> a strict <laughs> question, but. You know, just sort of the big picture here, what are the two or three biggest challenges that lower Manhattan is facing right now?
1: Well, look, one, again, it's not unique to us, but the quality of life issues that are on everybody's minds, you know, keeping the streets clean and safe, uh, making sure that the subways are running and, uh, you know, the, the sort of bread and butter issues that, frankly, Mayor Adams was elected, you know, talking about are true here, I think we've been lucky in that it's not as bad here um, as it is in other places in terms of some of the street conditions, partly because we have such a robust force, you know, over a hundred people of, of ours who are out every day, sweeping the streets, planting beautiful flowers, removing graffiti, um, and so neighborhoods that have business improvement districts like this wherever they are, are faring much better because we're spending time and money to, to do some of that work. But at the end of the day, we can't replace what the NYPD or the city sanitation crews um, ought to be doing and, and are trying their best to do. So, you know, I think that's that is the number one topic on people's minds when you when you go around town uh, in terms of long term success, how we turn around both the reality, but truthfully, the perception. We are still an incredibly safe city when you look at the history and the numbers there's no question Mm -hmm. i was born in the 70s i grew up here in the 80s 90s i've I've lived in new york my entire life we are much much safer (laughs) than when i grew up but but that's not the perception that people have and so that has to change you know, I would say clearly that, that
0: of course goes back to the 2019 conversation right I mean you know 2019 was a very different uh new normal and and that's you know that's the recency bias that people have they want to you know feel that way and obviously everybody wants the city to be uh be safer and not trending in the other direction
1: absolutely and I, I do think that is an impediment for people both to live here long term um and and the return to work hmm. you know that 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 for us obviously that's an issue I'm not I'm not as concerned about it in that I think it's pretty clear we're not going back to five day a week, nine to five culture, maybe ever. Uh, it's hard to imagine certainly any in the near future, but people are coming back to work, whether it's two days a week, three days a week on a hybrid schedule, depending on, on where they work and, and what their job is. And so I think as we adjust to that, you know, we're going to have to evolve and that means In terms of our our retail and supporting them, and and making an effort as New Yorkers to support our small businesses, but also for them, when are they open? Is it the same days? Is it the same hours? If if people aren't coming in on Friday anymore, then Friday happy hour isn't the thing. Maybe Mm -hmm. Wednesday happy Mm -hmm. hour is the thing, or Thursday happy hour is the thing. Um, Are people coming in different hours? So so that's some of the. Actually, frankly, we're trying to do a little research to dig into that because people will have to adjust, but. I'm not I'm not at all panicked about it. I just I'm very concerned about you know, retail in general and supporting those small businesses that that rely on that vibrancy. And mm-hmm. so, again, you're seeing people choose to move here. They're going out here, even if they're not working five days a week in their offices. So to keep encouraging them to, to do that. Uh, you know, I think that's you know the, the other thing for me, the arts will play a big role in our recovery, I believe. I hope it's one of the reasons I live in New York, honestly, the food, the culture, the artistic community that's here. So when we look down the line, I mean, it's one of the things we're focusing on, frankly, is more placemaking, more arts programming, whether that's beautiful sculptures that are going up this week uh, at 85 broad to a performing arts festival we'll be doing in June for three weeks with On Guard Arts to, you know, looking down the line, the Pearlman Performing Arts Center opening next year, which will be a world-class cultural institution. So both things that are free, the programming we put on is free to things that may not be. I I think we need to really embrace our cultural community in New York, do more to promote and support them. Um, And if you can, you know, we can commission artists to do work.
0: How much are you thinking about um, lower Manhattan? You know, it's it's become much more, as we're discussing here, of um, a central business district that has a very significant residential component. So it's a, you know, as they say, a, a more of a 24-7 neighborhood than um, some place that people are just sort of commuting into and out of. But also it's a tourist destination. And then third, people, New Yorkers, making lower Manhattan more of a place to to be who don't live there, but as a place for, you know, sort of fun partial day trips for people who live in New York City. How are you thinking about that piece of the equation too? (laughs)
1: I mean, that was a very conscious uh, marketing effort, actually, we, that we did. And the kind of once vaccines were available and people were feeling a little more brave and bold and, and safe is to target on social media uh, New Yorkers, because we, we weren't traveling nationally, certainly not internationally. And it was a really special time to explore the city. Frankly, I mean, I think all of us, you know, my brother went out to Flushing more than he ever had. And I went out to parts of Brooklyn that I hadn't been to in a long time because, you know, you want to do things and you can't sit in your apartment all the time. And so I had friends who said, I've lived here my whole life and I just went to the Statue of Liberty for the first time. One of my friends from Stuyvesant from high school took the Staten Island Ferry. hadn't done it in 20 years, right? Because you know it, it was fun to sort of rediscover our city. And to your point, without tourists around, without you know, yeah, it,
0: we, we, my family did some of the stuff, and you know, without without the the lines and and so forth. You know, it's like busy but not crazy, and it was uh, yeah, it was very much a lot. I
1: walked over the Brooklyn Bridge. For the first time again, because it had been such a, a, a zoo, um, and it was amazing. Right, it was it was practically empty except that there were people, industrious people, who had set up barber shops on the bridge uh, uh, <laughs> when the hair I salons were that. still closed. Uh-huh. All um, right. Okay, you know, but it was just it was it was a time for New Yorkers to embrace New York and explore New York. And so th- that was definitely happening organically. And we tried to promote that wh- with our own marketing.
0: Mm. Um, how do you make, wh- what are what are a couple of very sort of concrete things that you haven't mentioned yet to make it a more friendly area for the people that live there and, uh, and then especially the New Yorkers who want to, you know, visit and enjoy um the, the area on, you know, a Saturday morning or whatever it might be. Um, but especially for, for the people who, who live in lower Manhattan, what are a couple of keys to making it a more friendly residential area and and thus a a friendlier area for people to visit and spend some time? Is it, um, is it more pedestrianization of parts of lower Manhattan? Is it, um, just continuing to build out, you know, some of the cultural attractions, as you're mentioning, what are, what are two or three, four, however many you want to list of those things that are on the agenda that you really like to see and work towards enhancing.
1: So um, a few things, I mean, I would say one, we, we have the battery, which is a beautiful marquee park. We don't have that sort of times square Bryant park space that most people associate uh, with a neighborhood, but that said, we have a lot of green open space that people who live here recognize, most of which is on the water. And so whether it's in Battery Park City or the Esplanade or the Battery, uh, you know, continuing to improve and, and promote the open space that we have uh, you know, has been, I think, part of our success here. We also are largely a pedestrianized neighborhood because of the old colonial street grid. No, we have stop signs. We don't have a lot of mm-hmm. traffic lights, tr- truthfully, other than on you know the main thoroughfares on Broadway. So our neighborhood functions largely like as if we have shared streets, because we sort of do. They're narrow, some of them are cobblestone, et cetera. So that's that's something that um I think has become more of an asset. The city has been focusing on improving bike lanes, protected bike lanes and access. So that's something we're, we're happy about. We're pushing them for more bike parking as well. Uh, because again, you know, it, it's it's one square mile, but it can take a while to get around. And, and we want people to feel like it's accessible both by bike and by ferry. I mean, every single ferry line comes to Pier 11. Mm. So that has been helpful for us. I mean, I think those are some of our selling points that people may not, Realize, um, but you know as I mentioned before, bringing back the programming. You know Brookfield has their own arts program. You know they had their ice skating rink, they had the Nutcracker, they do holiday events, but all year long, um, and that will come back at the World Trade Center. They reopened Smorgasburg a few weeks ago, and the Beer Garden, which will be open during the summer. In addition to what else they may end up planning, <clears throat> we are, as I said, doing our live theater performances for three weeks in June while the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council will be resuming their annual River to River Festival. Um, We're doing a dine around festival in June with 30 plus restaurants where you can come and sample um, a lot of fare. So, you know, again, I think whether people feel more comfortable being outside or just want to enjoy uh, the the neighborhood and the views, having this kind of programming uh, is something that we're focusing on
0: hmm. Should I take um, part of your answer there to, to say that you don't think there is more room for just shutting shutting down more streets in lower Manhattan to car and truck traffic? Is that not you know, I mean, there there there's a way when you walk around certain parts of lower Manhattan where um, the, the cars and trucks have almost no choice but to go quite slowly. And there is a lot of pedestrian traffic, but there's still a lot of vehicle traffic that you know, makes you a little uneasy walking with a little kid or on a bike or, you know, those types of things. Um, ha- any, any thoughts on, on changes there or do you, do you feel pretty? No, good I mean, I think, it? I think
1: it's, it's always possible. Uh, I would say a couple of things. Again, we don't have the traditional street grid, so it's not as if, You close 14th Street to buses only, you can just go on 13th or 12th or 10th or 11th. We don't have typical sort of north, south, east, west alternatives. We just don't. And so logistically, for the fourth largest commercial business district in the city, but also for the residents who live here, because they're sprinkled all throughout the district. I mean, the entire south side of Wall Street is residential and they want to be able to access their buildings and they want to be able to get their deliveries as well. So, um, not to say it couldn't, I would say it's, but it's, it's a a different challenge than in other neighborhoods. We have tried it. Uh, we did do it a couple of, of streets during the pandemic, um, with mixed success, to be perfectly honest, Mm -hmm. uh, people didn't really use Pearl street. Um, and even the restaurants who had sort of adopted it after a few months told us that that it wasn't really working for them either. Um, Ann Street, we did a little bit longer, but again, we started to get a lot of complaints from the residents who live along Ann Street, uh, the hotel that's on Ann Street, in terms of getting hotel guests in and out. So um, I wouldn't say I, I, it's something we're we're as I said are open to have explored, have experimented with. It's just a little bit more complicated if you literally look at the map of the neighborhood.
0: Interesting. Um, let's come back to office occupancy. Um, what are you hearing? What are you, um, thinking? What are you trying to do, uh, to increase, um, or, or how are you thinking about people, you know, companies bringing workers back workers wanting a new balance, um, what it means for lower Manhattan. Are there, um, you know, are we, are you starting to get a sense that there's a good bit of office space that needs to really be rethought It's some of, you know, the older office space perhaps that, um, you know, could be converted to other uses. How are you thinking about the, the return to office and the future of office space in lower Manhattan?
1: I mean, I, I I do think you're going to see companies as we have who, who decide they want less space. Um, we're seeing a lot of fintech companies here who are actually expanding during the pandemic and increasing their their space, which is sort of interesting. Um, over time, five years, 10 years, 20 years, I think the space will be full because new companies will come and and backfill. It may take a little bit longer, but I'm pretty optimistic about that over the long haul. Meaning I don't think we need all drastically less commercial office space mm-hmm. in the city of New York. That's just my my view over the long game. This is a, an island. It's a finite. Um, there are reasons that we have central business districts. You can get here on 12 subway lines and from New Jersey and by ferry. So you, you can be living in the far Rockaways or Coney Island or the East Village and you can get here. Mm-hmm. That's not the same with... Other neighborhoods in the city, you can get to Midtown, you can get to Times Square, but you understand there's a reason why these business districts formed because you can get here from anywhere. And so that will continue to be. And when you look at the census numbers and you look at the growth on residential, like people are still coming here. So I think we're still going to have that need. I think we proved as a model, and and it's been talked about a lot because, as you said, we have become this 24-7 neighborhood and places like Midtown have not, that it was harder for them in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And there is still less street activity. And so discussions about how they could convert some of particularly the older stock that isn't as attractive into housing, affordable housing would be great. Uh, I think that does make a lot of sense. And there may be. I hope there is more of that. You know, for us, we did that in the 90s. We were the model. And so the reality is not all, but most of the buildings that could convert over time probably have. Not all maybe there's 610 but it's not it's not it's not like the whole neighborhood whereas i think there are other places that are much more ripe for that kind of conversion to affordable housing mm. and you sort of hit the nail on the head the the, the class a space that more you know, where people don't follow real estate but mm-hmm. the nicest office space as yes. it's as it's graded
0: class a is what you think it is yes <laughs>
1: yes um, you know that has been doing very well even in the pandemic here and not, you know, all across Manhattan. So, you know, that's companies taking advantage and wanting to upgrade uh, and deciding that this is the moment to do that, or saying, if we're going to be in the office and our employees are going to be here, then we want it to be really special or more special. So, you know, I think the question then becomes over time with some of the older Less attractive space, less viable space. You know what what becomes of that? Um, And so, I think there are different possibilities uh, that I hope the city planning commission will explore. Because the truth is, right now you're you don't really have many options. Just Mm -hmm. just legally, in terms of zoning and other regulations, you're you're constrained. And so, I, I do think a positive of the pandemic will cause a rethinking. And I could give you one concrete example. We had a hotel that was failing before the pandemic and they wanted to transform it into a senior assisted living location, which I think would be wonderful for the neighborhood and sort of perfectly suited for that. But the zoning didn't really allow for it. And they were starting to have that conversation, you know, and then the pandemic hit. So I, I hope there, if you, there's more creative thinking that comes out of this, of what are some of the needs we're facing and how can we make those transitions?
0: That kind of takes me to a question I, I had for you as a former city council member, especially too, about zoning and, and lower Manhattan. Are there um, Are there sort of more sweeping zoning changes, fixes that you think are needed in any either, you know, Big or small swath of Lower Manhattan, are there are there um, ways that you want the City Planning Commission to really rethink uh, parts of Lower Manhattan, or any um, you know anything that you want to sort of bring to people's attention about the ways that zoning maybe has become outdated? Um, and, and
1: well, it, I guess so. sort of similar, sort of ta- a tag on to what I what I just mentioned was again the hotels have rebounded. More quickly than they had expected. But I was advocating, and I would still advocate for more flexibility to transform hotel rooms into affordable housing Mm -hmm. or supportive housing. Again, um, some of them are very well laid out, but all kinds of zoning issues come into play that make it impossible. And, And we even had a couple of interested parties, philanthropic parties. Who were interested in purchasing hotels to build affordable housing, but the the rules didn't allow for it. And I won't get into why. Lots of minutiae mm-hmm. involving yeah, elevator yeah. sizes and you know things that are right. just right. right. Yep. Right. So yep. um I, I would. I and there's would, state
0: and city stuff correct. at play. Both levels of correct. government, or you know, say, NC government. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I, I think this but... big
1: picture, uh, allowing for more flexibility within reason. But are course. we? I mean,
0: you know, this is. I know you, I'm sure you want to be somewhat diplomatic about this, but to me, I, you know, we're, it, it's already May of 2022. What's it, what, you know, if people keep, you know, the mayor had a press conference about this, trying to push, you know, the state to do more that wasn't done yet. And people are frustrated that no projects have been done anywhere, not just lower Manhattan, but, you know, midtown, um, and it's like, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe in the end, some of the inaction will work out just fine because as we're seeing some things are rebounding faster than expected. So maybe, you know, maybe it's good that there's been inaction, but, you know, and some of these zoning changes and such, I understand it's really complicated, but you know, it's it's kind of. Time. Time's ticking here.
1: And how long have you been covering government and politics?
0: <laughs> About A decade.
1: Okay, or so, so <laughs> <laughs> you know how this works. Yes. <laughs> I, or doesn't work sometimes as the, case. Yeah. the um, you know, the, the stew of our democracy. The mm-hmm. wheels do not turn quickly.
0: Yeah. Um, is it your impression from the business leaders that you work with and speak with that we're sort of at the new equilibrium in terms of you know we've seen increases in the subway ridership largely a Tuesday Wednesday Thursday thing so it seems like a lot of people are doing like Monday Friday from home um, you know are we sort of are we sort of at a, a, an equilibrium that will probably be the new normal for a little while here in terms of like it seems like you know a good number of companies are asking people to come in a few days a week and we're kind of there or do you get a sense that this is really ramping up i think i've heard some business leaders talk about maybe this coming fall they're going to be pushing people to come in more what's your sense of that
1: i, I don't think we're i don't think we're there yet I, mm-hmm. I do think you're going to continue to see some progress i don't know how linear it's going to be meaning like August, right? (laughs) We may see some increases and then we may see some dips. Um, I don't think 38% is where we're going to land, but I don't have a crystal ball. It's certainly not going to be a hundred percent. So I I do believe, you know, I've seen these surveys too, pretty comprehensive in in terms of surveying CEOs saying that, you know, in September, October, you know, they expect to really be at kind of 50%. Um, And then I I think we'll see kind of over time, we're going to have to live with this. We're going to have fits and starts in terms of the disease uh, and people's attitudes and people's desires, you know, and and I see it clearly here, even with our team, there are people who want to be here five days a week and they are. And our office is open, and they're certainly welcome to, Um, you know, and then there are people who, you know, would prefer maybe not to be here three, four days a week, but, uh, and I think some of that also will just adjust over time. Right. What are your own circumstances? What's going on in the rest of your life? Are you caring for people at home, whether it be an elderly parent or a young child? Uh, are you, you know, where do you live? What's your commute like? Um, what size is your apartment? Do you like your roommate? Do you hate your roommate? <laughs> you know, like these are not academic questions. Yep. Yep. Um, and and those things change over time. And you know what we what I do here consistently in every industry from creative to finance to law is there's also a realization that it's hard to onboard staff, mentor staff, uh, develop your pipeline of talent without some real critical component of being in person. Mm -hmm. And what that magic sauce ends up being, I don't know, but I I hear it from both ends, you know, associate saying, how am I ever going to make partner if I don't know the partners, if they don't see the work I'm doing, to um, you know, architects saying we're really concerned about developing our pipeline of, of um, talent, and so if I can't mentor them when they're working on a project, how are they going to grow? So I, I think you know we'll we'll see. I, I think anybody who says they know for sure doesn't know anything. That's my that's my view. I tend to be more optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, But but I also think, again, because I am optimistic, there are some really positives that have come out of this. You know, my kids are are older now, although still, you know, high school age and middle school age. And, you know, for me being a city councilwoman, while I worked very long hours and weekends, you know, I also had some control over my schedule and being able to walk my kids to school or going to a school play, you know, was very important to me. And I had that opportunity. And so men and women have gained that flexibility i think from this pandemic and you know i hope that doesn't go away you know we we need to have a more healthy balance in our lives
0: uh i'm speaking here with jessica Lappin, the president of the alliance for downtown new york um oh a lot more i want to get to you but i don't want to keep you too much longer so (laughs) let me ask you a few more questions um in that vein, though, one of the things that Mayor Adams has stressed is the sort of economic ecosystem that the you know more robust office occupancy and um, you know in office work helps to spur. And obviously, the central business districts are you know the key places for this. People coming to the big office towers in Midtown and, and downtown Manhattan and and other parts of the city, downtown Brooklyn, and so forth, and that. Part of the reason that we have a somewhat, you know, a, a, a persistently uh, higher than pre-pandemic unemployment rate in the city is because of those jobs that are related to both tourists and commuters, and obviously, Lower Manhattan is is a hub for both. Um, is there any, um, you know, is there is there any sort of vision coming together? Is there any way to to figure this out to Um, I mean, maybe you've gotten at this already with some more of the sort of arts activities and other things that can um, help bring back more of those jobs when it's not going to be the office workers that really help bring them back. Even though, as we just discussed, we're not maybe quite at the ceiling yet. Maybe that'll happen more in the fall or maybe even into next year. But is there are there other strategies to trying to help recreate some of that economic activity that still hasn't quite come back yet?
1: Um and maybe you've know, gotten into it all. No, no, it's a good question. And and I uh, you know, we've done or, or we tried to brainstorm here about things that we can be doing, whether it was straight up rent grants at the early days of the pandemic to uh developing a third party delivering system for our restaurants so they didn't have to get gouged by Grubhubs and Seamless of the world. Hmm. Right now. I mean, more to where we are today, we have a small business uh, grant program out there specific to social media to help some of our small retailers who never traditionally, who could rely on foot traffic and didn't have to focus as much on a social media presence to help them up their game. So we're we're partnering them with mentors, people who are expert influencers to help figure out what that program will look like and then giving them a small amount of seed money to actually place some, you know, ads online and, and Im- improve their, their presence in terms of social media. So, I mean, I, I, there are things that I think w- you know we're trying to do on the margins that the city could do on a broader scale, potentially if they work and they do have their small business forward initiatives that I guess they will be rolling out. Mm. Um. You know, at the end of the day, some businesses are going to survive, some businesses are not. I, I do think the sort of patriotic call to remind New Yorkers to, to to be more thoughtful about supporting our small businesses when they can Uh you know, does seem to have an impact. We did something with the students at uh, Pace and BMCC down here, for example, sort of discount program for students focused on wellness, which they loved that got them into mm-hmm. our local places. So, you know, some of it's being creative. Some of it is accepting we are in a different world. Uh, and some of it is it's on us.
0: Mm-hmm. And as you said, it, it does look like tourism. You know, there's, there's a pretty big pent up... Um... Demand for people to to leave their homes and their cities and their towns and you know their countries and so forth and and hopefully that will also contribute in a more consistent way um, you know to to help revitalize things where office workers are not you know getting back to the to the pre pandemic numbers um, in terms of more affordable housing in Lower Manhattan is there a, a key to making that happen is there something that um would unlock the ability to to create more affordable housing that you know we haven't mentioned, which is the possibility of maybe, you know, a handful of of office or hotel conversions. Is there anything else that you know would need to happen? Are there specific projects um, you know, that you want to point to that you, you know, believe need to come to fruition to to help that? There's there's a few different, you know, things in the offing there's a world trade center site there's seaport development um i don't know if there's any specific projects or other keys to more affordable housing in lower manhattan that you want to point to
1: no i mean those are the big two the two projects you mentioned uh i think there is some recognition that when the incentives were put in in the 90s uh, they weren't tied to affordability and probably should have been or they were but not Permanent affordability. Now, now that said, you have to also remember back to what New York was like in the late 90s. Um, You know, we had World War II vacancy rates. So you can't put today's lens on on history from 30 years ago. But then again, in retrospect, that was a lost opportunity. Um, You know, moving ahead, 421A is expiring at the state level. That's, you know, I, I think... There has to be a real discussion. If policymakers want there to be more affordable housing built, then you have to help create some mechanisms to incentivize people to do it. That's just this. That's just the system that, that we live in. So I don't know where that's. You know, Mayor Adams has been vocal about that. Uh, our legislators in Albany don't seem to agree, and so I don't. I don't know what the future of that is going to look like.
0: Yeah. On the World Trade Center site, um, what's what's gonna happen there? What are you, are you advocating for something in particular? Um, this seems to be, you know, caught up obviously in a very big debate around what type of housing, like many other sites in the city wind up getting caught up in, as you know very well. Um, what are you, are you advocating for a vision there? Is there something you think is going to break to make this move forward?
1: I, I mean, it's going to, I mean, I'm, I, I would be surprised if it doesn't move forward. I wouldn't say I'm advocating for any one particular thing other than I'm a, a, an idealist who's also pragmatic. So I think pushing for the maximum amount of affordable units is what I've been doing. But I also recognize that zero units serves nobody if a building mm-hmm. doesn't get built. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think it I think it will get sorted out. Um, and we need to finish the World Trade Center site, period. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, th- I think there's some push though, for, for it to be hundred percent affordable housing. That doesn't seem, um, from your, your vantage point as, as a plausible outcome, correct?
1: It would cost more than the, the state of New York spends in the entire state, um, per year. I mean, it's just not, it's not realistic mm-hmm. while it would be amazing. It is just, it is not, it's just, it's not realistic. And I think the state's been fairly clear about that.
0: Last question. Uh, I'll, I'll we'll 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 talk Lower Manhattan um, resiliency efforts another time. That's a whole you know that's a whole sort of another avenue of of this discussion. But um, let me let me come back to actually where you started. I want to just follow up on what you said at the beginning in terms of one important thing of um, sort of quality of life issues. Are there specific, you know, there's specific actions you want? I know, as you said, Downtown Alliance does a lot, but um, that you want from city government, is it to help push ahead more on uh, trash containerization programming? Is it more... Cracking down on uh, parking placard abuse—that's something that gets raised a lot, related to Lower Manhattan and other parts of the city. Any specific actions from city government that you, um, you know, are really asking for to help with quality of life, you know, "quote unquote" quality of life issues in Lower Manhattan?
1: Well, yes, you hit the nail on the head. We had been talking to the city pre-pandemic about containerizing residential trash. The pilot that's been in the news is for commercial waste. Mm-hmm we have a real issue with these very you know, tall residential buildings on very, as I said, very narrow streets. And we would love, love to pilot with the city a program to containerize that residential garbage. The residents would love it. We would love it. Um, so we, we would hope that the city would engage with us uh, on that for sure. Uh, and I, I do think... There are some other, you know, a long priority of ours long held has been improving the already pedestrianized area really around the New York Stock Exchange. And we put out a vision for that a number of years ago. We're making progress. And then, again, everything changed. But, you know, we would love to restart that conversation as well.
0: Okay. Jessica Lappin is the president of the Alliance for Downtown New York. Thank you very much for the time and the thoughts.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: All right. Take care.